Hey everyone, Matt Straub, welcome you to the Roto World Fantasy Basketball Podcast. It is the early part of the Eastern and Western Conference semifinals. We thought we'd give you a break from our new least favorite basketball term, landing zone, and talk fantasy outlooks for some of the teams and players that have been eliminated. Uh, we did some of these exit interviews already last week for the Pacers and Pistons. Now we will be hitting the six other teams that got knocked out in the first round, looking at the fantasy outlooks for some key players who have been eliminated from the playoffs, and we will hit at least a couple notable players from each team. Ryan Knauss is here with me. Ryan, we will start in the East with the Nets. The Nets were a rarity in that they were a playoff team without a top-tier fantasy stud. D'Angelo Russell was their highest-ranked player on the Basketball Monster 9 category leaderboard at 57 overall. Obviously a really good season, though I'm wondering whether his ceiling can go much higher because he's still not great in what we call these sub-zero categories, percentages and turnovers. The flip side of that is Russell is still only 23, so maybe he has a top 30, top 40 season in him. I'll stop talking now. What are your thoughts, Ryan? Uh, I won't bet against a top 30-40, which is saying something. I've been pretty down on D'Angelo the past few years, but to his credit, he kind of turned it around. It seemed like he came into this season really wanting to rewrite the narrative on his career arc. We saw Nets coach Kenny Atkinson benched him for mental lapses a couple times early in the season, and he just took it in stride. He didn't pull a Hassan Whiteside and complain to the media afterwards or anything. Yeah, I mean, he's in the conversation for most improved player. Obviously, all-star campaign led the Nets to the playoffs, so I was very, very impressed, is my point. And I think if he can do that, if he can take the leap that we saw this year, why not take one more step? So yeah, I wouldn't rule out top 30. So if he's there for you in your draft, hypothetically, you know, it's 35, it's the 35th pick, you're, you're thinking about him there. I like him in that range. 35-40, I think, is reasonable. You mentioned the caveats or the percentages and turnovers and... That's tough to swallow in nine cat, but and yeah, he's not he's, he's not awful in those. I mean, he's he's not a disaster in any one of those. I think he was around forty three from the field, seventy eight from the line, and three turnovers a game. Put that together, and it's not a great combo. But it's not like any one of those is going to destroy you. Exactly, you're not forced to tank just by drafting him in the third or fourth round. So right. that seems that seems like a reasonable gamble. We'll talk about being forced to tank when we get to the Oklahoma City Thunder in a little bit. Uh, meanwhile, though, we're still in Brooklyn. Jarrett Allen finished 81st overall, around 11 points, 8 rebounds, and 1.5 and blocks for the season, which when you look at this as the guy's a 21-year-old big man, second-year big man, that's pretty good. But I don't think it's what people expected who drafted him with high hopes. Do you think Allen can make a leap to something like 15 points, 9 boards, and 2 blocks a game next year? Is that uh, being too optimistic? Maybe. At 15 points, I think, is too optimistic. What was he at this year? Right, 11. A, a little bit under 11, yeah. Uh-huh. But, you know, um, he, he jumped up from, I think, 8 eight and 5 as a rookie to 11 and 8. So For sure. And that, that jump is something worth mentioning because a lot of it was his minutes jumped from 20 to 26 a game. And yet, he managed to stay healthy. He only missed two games all season. So you love to see that, especially for a center who everyone knows, just looking at him, he needs to bulk up, uh, fill out that frame, I think. If you've already seen him stay durable as a starter against other NBA centers for the entirety of a season, that gives me much more confidence in his ability to, you know, repeat it at age 22. Part of his, you know, his fantasy value could have been even higher this year, but we saw his free throw percentage dip unusually from almost 78% as a rookie to just around 70% this year. So I expect that to go back up. That's going to be a plus for him. Uh, his blocks increase, boards go up. So... Yeah, although I think your 15-point 
projections a little too optimistic. I'd, mm-hmm. I'd give them 13, 10, two blocks, and that's good enough, you know? 13, 10, two blocks makes him, you know, a poor man's Miles Turner, probably without the threes. Although Allen has shown, uh, Allen is another guy who could show up and hit hit a decent amount of threes one of these years because um, yeah. he has shown the ability to, to knock down. Karis LeVert, the last net we're going to talk about, is interesting to me. People, you know, love him in fantasy. On a per-game basis, he was number 160 in nine category leagues. Now, I know before the injury, when he was really rolling, he was basically a top 50 guy in, you know, 12 or so games. What do you think is the LeVert we'll see next season? Because he's another guy, not a good free-throw shooter, certainly can have some turnover issues at times, uh, and maybe some some field goal percentage issues. Do you think we'll see just a clean split of that difference between number 50 and number 160? Do you think he's closer to a top 50 guy for you? Where do you land on LeVert? I'm going to say closer to top 50, just because, as you mentioned, he was playing at that level game after game. Small sample size before the injury, but... You know, it was very real. It was there for us all to see. And I think the outside of top 150 per game number that you're citing is really heavily influenced by how he played when he came back from that injury. Now, the fact that he came back at all is pretty miraculous. Um, I thought for sure this guy's done for the season when I saw that, as most people did. So I, I take a big grain of salt when I look at his overall numbers. I'm more into how he looked at the beginning of the year and how he looked in the postseason. I mean, he forced his way into their starting lineup because he was that good. Another thing, and we didn't mention it under D'Angelo Russell, is Russell's a restricted free agent this summer. So he may not be with the Brooklyn Nets next year. And if he's gone, Karis LeVert could have a huge role as a playmaker. So that's another factor to look for this summer. Yeah, that's a good point. And I did take contracts into consideration in most of these cases, but I forgot about Russell. So good call there. That uh, we're moving on from the Nets. Five more teams to hit. We're moving on to the Orlando Magic. Um, and I think any conversation with Orlando, at least for me, has to start with Nikola Vucevic, an unrestricted free agent. So in some ways, it's a little hard to forecast his outlook. But regardless of where he lands, I like I, to some extent, I think he's going to return to Orlando. But that's just me maybe being uh, hopeful. Either way, I'm starting to think he's again going to be a guy I can get well outside the top 25 in drafts and will likely be a steal in fantasy leagues again, though maybe not to the extent he was this year. Do you agree, Ryan? Uh, not with the well outside the top 25 part. I think that's... that's I your, added that. That's You're your, right. your, that your own last-minute ad lib. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I think he's going to go back to Orlando. Magic president Jeff Weltman said repeatedly that it's, in quotes, a priority for Orlando to keep him. Now, of course, he's probably going to get max or near max salary offers from multiple teams. So, you know, whether or not he comes back to Orlando, I think whoever gets him is going to make him a focal point of their attack. He's coming off a career season. You don't pay that much money for a guy of this caliber to have him play a secondary or tertiary role. So I think, yeah, no matter where he goes, I think top 25 is conservative for where he'll finish as a roto value. If you can get him there, even outside the top 20, that's easy money for me. Yeah, and I mean, this year you could. there were leagues where you could get him, you know, around 50, and that, that's not going to happen again. But yeah, yeah we, he, we beat the drum on him being a shutdown risk, so uh, oops. Okay, well, let's start that up again. Can we start that talk up again? Uh, oh, sure. Just, for, just to help me out here. Uh, all right, Aaron Gordon took a step back as a scorer with so much offense running through Vooch in Steve Clifford's offense, but Aaron Gordon did improve his assists up to 3.7 dimes this year. Overall was 100th overall. And I think it's fine to draft around, you know, 75th or something if he falls that far. But I kind of doubt he will fall that far just because 
I mean, isn't there still like some sort of air of excitement swirling around Gordon for for a bunch of fantasy owners? I think there is. I mean, we've now had, what, two or three seasons where he was one of the poster boys for breakout potential, and they both kind of fizzled out. He started really hot two years ago and then kind of fell off. But I think you're right. I think he's a guy that's likely to be drafted inside the top 60 just because of that unknown upside type aura about him. But it really depends on your risk tolerance. If he's finishing outside the top 100, even though he's healthy this season, do you want to bet on that upside? Or do you kind of split the difference and say top 75 maybe? So that's where I'm going to look for him. I'm not going to reach and draft him at number 56 overall. But if he's there in the mid-70s, 80 for sure, I'll take a gamble on that one. I think that maybe the best case scenario for Gordon is that he kind of D'Angelo rustles it next year and becomes more <laughs> consistent, you know, because there's nights where he just puts up a killer fantasy line, you know, and yeah. but it just doesn't happen every game. But I could see maybe his best case scenario is he has a, a really uh, much more consistent season and is maybe closer to a top 50 guy. Sounds right. And if Vooch leaves, that opens up even more offense for Gordon. Right. But we've already established Vooch isn't leaving. Uh, (laughs) Jonathan Isaac's season numbers uh, left him outside the top 100 overall, but there's no doubt he made some serious strides, including his last 30 games. Numbers are 11.8 points, 6.2 rebounds, 0.8 steals, 1.6 blocks, 1.7 threes. There's a lot to like there for the 21-year-old. I think I might have him ahead of Gordon on my draft board next season. Is that too hot of a take? Is that crazy talk? I don't think that's crazy. No, Isaac was one of my top sort of uh, sneaky picks this year. It didn't pan out. I think a big part of that was the ankle injury that he suffered early in this season. He lost six games to that. It was the same injury that plagued him last year. And that really took away all of his momentum. It took him a while to get back up to speed. But if you're looking for upside, and I'm being reminded how much fun the Magic were this year to some extent. I love uh, the Magic. I really yeah. did. Yeah, I, Isaac is your guy. I think in February alone, he averaged 13.7 points, nearly 50% shooting, 1.8 threes, almost six boards, one steal, and two and a half blocks. So those are elite numbers that he put up in 29 minutes per game. I love seeing those monthly splits where you're like, okay, that's his ceiling at age 21 or whatever he is. So yeah, I'm happy to gamble on him. Yeah, and he's a guy who two threes and two blocks are within reach for him at some point in the near future, possibly even next year. So uh, there's a lot to like with that guy. The Clippers are the next team on our list, and we'll start with Daniel Gallinari. Had had what I would call a pretty triumphant season, playing 68 games, I think more than anyone was really expecting, and posting top 30 value overall. Now, look, the price is going to be higher, but assuming it's still decently reasonable, will you go back to the well on Gallo next year, Ryan? I don't think I will. I mean, I don't think I'm going to take him inside the top 60 for sure. Maybe top 75, and there's a couple reasons why. One, as you said, it depends how much his draft stock spikes. He averaged career highs in scoring, field goal percentage, triples, three-point percentage, rebounds, almost got there in assists. That's crazy, and it's kind of hard to see him duplicating that, especially since he only played 30 minutes a game. You know, and by Gallo standards, he was very healthy, but he still missed 14 games. So this is a guy, like, you just bake in 15 DMPs and hope that that's all he misses. The bigger factor for me might be LA's free agency, because they Mm -hmm. are very well positioned to bring in elite free agents. For instance, if Kawhi Leonard, you know, the Clippers have been mentioned as a desired landing spot for him. If he goes to LA, forget it. Gallo immediately you know, falls for me outside top 80, you know, I'd take him around 100. 
That's fair. That's fair. It was in a lot of ways a perfect storm with him being such a focal point. I think he, you know, every time I watched him play, I thought he looked awesome. And, I, you know, he's 30. I think he's still got some good years left. But I think all, all things considered, your way of looking at it makes a lot of sense to me. Shea Gilgis-Alexander finished up his up-and-down rookie year at 137th on Basketball Monsters 9 category leaderboard. Is he a guy, Ryan, you'll consider drafting inside the top 100 and do the same free agency caveats apply here? They do, but I think less so because LA's backcourt, they've committed. They got two young guys in Landry Shamet and Shea Gilgis Alexander, who that's the future of the backcourt, I think, mm-hmm. unless unless they go in a different direction. And he was really impressive. I mean, there aren't many 20-year-olds who could play 80-plus games as a starter and he was very impressive in the first round of the playoffs. He's got the length to be disruptive, especially if he gets stronger. I expect his rebounds to go up. Uh, he averaged 3.3 assists, which is not good, but I expect that to go up. I, and I love guards who can shoot well, you know, so he's not going to kill you from the field. He was 48% good from the free throw line. Didn't miss a single game, so that's the all-important durability factor that we need. Yeah, and he's only 20 years old. So at 100, that seems like a sweet spot. Doesn't feel like a guy who's just going to explode and put up a huge stat line. But, no, you know, yeah. you could see something like 15 points, four rebounds, four assists with some steals, some threes, and some blocks from him. I don't think that's a crazy forecast. Yep, yeah, I'd say that. All right. Next up, the Utah Jazz. Not a team that is really that intriguing to me from a fantasy standpoint, but I do want to talk about Donovan Mitchell, who I think went in the top 20 in some leagues, but finished up 68th overall. I'm not sure how far he'll fall in drafts, but hypothetically, Ryan, let's say he's sitting there for you at number 40 in the Roto World Fantasy Basketball League. We're going to start next season. Are you taking him? I'll definitely take him there. I think that would be a steal. Uh, He was brutal at times throughout this season, but it was mostly early. He shot 38.1% from the field in December, really kind of turned things around as the season went on. And pre-break, for instance, he was at 22 points a game, shooting under 42% from the field, 2.2 triples. After the break, his scoring went up more than four points per game. He shot 45% from deep, again, compared to 42% overall prior to the break. Uh, And he saw gains in free throw percentage, rebounds, assists, even blocks. So I'm hoping that most owners kind of remember the overall disappointment and not his fantastic finish to the season, which would put him more in line with where he should go, which I think is around 25-30. Speaking of disappointment, Mitchell could be a guy who comes back really hungry after the way his season ended. I don't know the guy, and I don't know how he thinks, but Game 5 against the Rockets, he went 4 for 22 from the field, 0 for 9 on threes with 5 turnovers and 1 assist. Uh, you got to think he's going to go into the offseason ready to redeem that and come back big next year he seems like a self-starter to me so (laughs) all right one other name from the jazz i want to hit ricky rubio will be a free agent this offseason and could come cheaper in fantasy drafts than he has in a long time after posting 119th overall finish it feels like the shine is sort of off of rubio for a lot of fantasy owners he's now in his late 20s we're no longer thinking of him as like man this guy could you know really be a huge asset in assists and steals Mm -hmm. given all of that given what's probably a low price tag are you interested nope (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay moving on Uh, (laughs) to be to be lured into owning ricky rubio i think he'd need to land in the ideal situation my problem is i don't know where that would even be like okay the, the suns have really needed a point guard for the past two years essentially 
would they view him as the answer? I, I really doubt it. Like, um, yeah, I just don't see it. And even Orlando, who we just talked about, would they view Ricky Rubio as an upgrade over DJ Augustine in reality? I'd, I'm not so sure. So I just don't see him as a, like, oh, clear-cut starter who's going to get 34 minutes and have the ball in his hands constantly. And as you said, I mean, he's he's old enough that we know what he brings. He's a two-category guy, and that's not enough for me. However, it would be a pretty classic Suns move to draft John Morant, like second overall, let's say, to be the point guard of the future and sign Rubio uh, to a big free agent (laughs) deal to steal his minutes. (laughs) So don't count that out. Don't rule that out. I'm starting to think that's likely, if if anything. Uh, All right. The Thunder are next on our list. Two more teams to go. Uh, We know, of course, that Paul George is a top 10 stud. And the only question I think is how high do you take him? So we don't need to spend time on Paul George. Let's talk Russell Westbrook for a second. To me, he is the ultimate guy who sinks you in sub-zero categories, right? 42% from the field, 67 from the line, four and a half turnovers this year. And of course, the flip side is that those numbers come with just monster counting stats, a huge asset in points, rebounds, assists, steals, threes, and even gets blocks, you know, half a game, half a block game this year. So the problem for me with Westbrook is that he's not cheap in drafts. You don't really get that big of a discount based on his deficiencies, mm-hmm. and he forces your team into a really strange statistical course when you're playing in Roto-style leagues. So I just think all that considered, he's not a guy I'm going to get in my drafts, and is that where you land as well? Yeah, I think we approach guys like this with a similar perspective where I don't want to tether my team, as you said, to a sort of pretzel-like logic right off the bat in the second round by taking a guy who... You know, we talk about how inefficient he is. I think it's helpful to put it in perspective. So thanks to Basketball Monster, we can say definitively that he had the second worst impact in turnovers this year, the eighth <laughs> eighth worst impact in free throw percentage, below, below Clint Capella, for instance, and Montrez Harrell, and the fifth worst impact in field goal percentage. Wow. So that's stunning. And I'm not willing. I mean, he's averaging a triple-double. It's incredible. I love to watch the guy play but I don't want to lose three categories in the second round of my fantasy draft to win three or four. That's not a good bet. When you say pretzel-like logic, do you mean because the pretzel has three holes in it? Pretzel-like? Yes, I'm now going with that. That's exactly what I meant. Yeah, Those three three holes, that's perfect. Aren't there three holes in the standard pretzel? That is correct. Okay, okay. Uh, Okay, I like that you just otherwise had made that up, and you're like, yeah, that's what that means. Yeah, just Uh, made it up. My other thought, oh yeah, just following up on this, I think we are at some point this offseason going to try to build the team, see what a team looks like. You know, what's the perfect draft for if you are just embracing the crazy punt strategy of like, who goes with Westbrook on your fantasy team? Who are the perfect mm-hmm, fits if you if you end up with Westbrook? And I think we'll do the reverse, which is drafting just the ultimate safe team. What's the perfect, safe, good percentages team? It's going to start with Nikola Vucevic, I'll tell you right <laughs> Oh, now. yeah. You know it. Uh, you know it. So that that's look for that ahead this offseason. Still in OKC, though, Jeremy Grant quietly posted a top 75 season. And I actually have the feeling that he's going to be relatively easy to get in drafts this fall. Not a name who generated a lot of buzz at any point, but was quietly really valuable. The overall number is 13.6 points, 5.2 boards, 0.8 steals, 1.3 blocks, and 1.43s. Still just 25 years old. I mean, I think a case can be made that people should actually be higher on this guy in fantasy than they are. Do you agree, Ryan? Yeah, and one thing I like about Grant is it seems like a very predictable situation, right? Because OKC 
owes $110 million to six players next season, fully guaranteed. So they do not have a lot of wiggle room to bring in players who are going to vastly change the role of a guy like Jeremy Grant or Steven Adams. So I like that about him. You mentioned his age. He's still getting better. The three-point shooting went up tremendously this year. He shot 39.2% from deep, and he can fill that role of a stretch shooter really well and get lots of easy shots off the action that Paul George and Russell Westbrook create. So I, I like him a lot. He also, he had a career low block percentage this season. I think, I don't expect to see that again. He's a natural shot blocker. So I think he could, he could even go higher than where he finished this year. And a recent report that Billy Donovan is expected back for the Thunder. So presumably Grant, given their roster construction and the coaching situation, has the same role. This yeah. was the first year that he got over 30 minutes a game. So, you know, who knows? Like, does he have a, a crazy higher ceiling than this? Probably not. But... Like you said, the blocks could be better. The points and boards could go up a little bit. Um, So I'm excited about him quietly. Um, I'm less excited about the San Antonio Spurs. (laughs) And of all six of these teams, the Spurs are the one that I look at and I I literally just want to go lie down. Like, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready for a nap when I think about this (laughs) roster and fantasy. So little intrigue here. DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge are under contract and will be top 40 fantasy players until they're 50 years old, I'm pretty sure. Derek White had his moments, but was also inconsistent. Now he's going to have to tangle with DeJounte Murray. Ryan, I will ask you a question, and I hope you have an answer for me. Where's the intrigue? Where's the fantasy intrigue with the San Antonio Spurs? Oof. Well, I'll jump right to the only player who stands out to me, and that's Jakob Pertl, which isn't, there, say, oh isn't saying much for the Spurs. Let's just but... end the show. Goodbye, everyone. Okay, carry on. Well, I viewed him as a potential late-round flyer this year. That proved to be very premature. He had a small role through most of the season, but that increased as it went on. Pop really praised him, you know, in the final months, and in the playoffs, he averaged, it's modest, so bear with me, but 7.3 points, 64% shooting, 7.7 rebounds, 1.7 assists, and uh, 0.7 blocks. Not great, but he only played 21 minutes a game. I could see that going up. He's got another year under his belt in the Spurs' very exacting system. So, you know, I think I'm going to double down on him as a late-round flyer. Not super exciting, but I think he could check that box as a uh, late-round center. And DeJounte Murray and Derek White, you mentioned, two guys who are both very intriguing in their own right. When you put them in the same backcourt, something's got to give. So that's going to be something to watch over the offseason. We don't even know if Greg Popovich will certainly be back next year. So the coaching situation's unknown. How healthy will Murray be? How are their roles going to align? Yeah, a lot of unknowns. I mean, I know that if Mike Gallagher was here right now, he would be screaming DeJounte Murray's oh, name. Oh, yeah, loves the guy. Uh, I mean, I, I imagine Mike is going to have him very high on his draft board. I'm not quite there because I don't know. Does he hit threes, et cetera? But, yeah, he, he's at least an exciting young player, and it'll be fun to see. Uh, what he does and where he goes in drafts. Ryan, we're done with our six-team exit interviews. I do want to throw one bonus name at you that I didn't tell you about. Recent news blurb on Roto World about Aaron Holiday. And, you know, you kind of take these things with a grain of salt, but the intriguing part of this is that Darren Collison and Corey Joseph are both free agents. Holiday's older brothers, Drew and Justin, both have very fantasy-friendly games. I think Aaron Holiday is also an intriguing fantasy name if he, you know, has... Uh, enough minutes, and it, and there's a chance we see that happen this offseason. Yeah, I'm very intrigued by him, actually, because I didn't realize just how wide open the Pacers roster is. They've got only a handful of guys under contract next year. 
Oladipo, McDermott, Miles Turner, Sabonis, TJ Leaf, and Aaron Holiday. So that leaves them with no backcourt whatsoever. <laughs> so, and Oladipo coming off injury. I mean, yeah, right now, Holiday looks very promising. And he, he was good for stretches this year. I think they didn't commit to him fully just because he still has some, some growing pains. But yeah, I think if they unleash him from the get-go next year and not just because of injuries to other more veteran players, we could see something there. Per 36 minutes, uh, his rookie year averaged 16.4 points, 3.7 boards, 4.8 assists, 1.2 steals, 0.7 blocks, and 2.4 threes. Granted, wow. 40, 40% shooting, but, you know, it's not a perfect picture, but there is definitely a path to some intriguing fantasy value there. Yeah. All right, well, that about does it for us. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, if you don't already. And if you can take a second to rate and review the show, we appreciate that. Mike Gallagher is back on Friday and every Friday throughout the offseason. And we're here with our episode every Wednesday as well. That does it for us, everyone. Thanks for listening. Ryan, thank you for taking the time. Enjoy your week. You too, Matt.